Hey everyone, welcome back to the Holtcast. First episode in a couple weeks, but as always, Robert Lintot is along with me, Jack Grimsey, bringing you the latest in Aston Villa news. How's it going, Robert? It's going wonderfully. Happy New Year, Jack, and everyone watching. Yeah, Happy New Year to everyone as well. Uh, hopefully, matches start bringing us a little more excitement than they did over the Christmas period. We were thinking about coming back with, with the Holtcast, but they were, honestly, the matches were just so dull and... We were like, well, no one honestly wants to hear about it. So, uh, but have any, you ever any, seen a more boring stretch of matches? Um, honestly, no. A lot of times, even when Villa were losing, past couple of years, at least they were scoring. Yeah, exactly. I I was unfortunately on the West Coast for most of those matches, which is even three hours further behind, and. I don't know how West Coast people get up in the morning to watch Villa because you've got to get up at like six a.m. Yeah, oh for, the, for the normal afternoon slots, and then the early ones at what four, three forty-five, oh, yeah. four forty-five. Thank God they didn't have any of that. I I would have just ended up skipping it because no. <laughs> yeah, you can probably realize why Aaron DVRs a lot of them. Yeah, it's it's atrocious. Um, you know, I I now have so much more respect for our West Coast brethren, or or even further back in time zones, because holy God, this team is boring. And if you can keep getting up for them anyway, you deserve a lot of respect. Especially if you don't fall back asleep. <laughs> <laughs> really, what last couple games really have been snooze fests. God, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, even the FA Cup match, despite the fact that it was a win, the combination of not having a video feed and it being, by all accounts, a dreadfully terrible match meant that holy crap, that was hard to stay, pay attention to. Yeah, just 1-0 one, one over Blackpool, if you missed that, but Benteke did come through with the goal. Good for him to get the goal there. Yeah, absolutely, and it was a pretty nice goal, too. Yeah, um, from, we did get the, that video feed from the BBC. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Blackpool had about seven men on the back line. They were really obviously, at least from the highlights, playing for the draw at that point, trying to get the replay back at the seaside. Um, and yet Villa managed to create some space there, which was interesting to see. It was... It was nice to see that possession game that they've been playing at lately pay off in the in the form of space, of positioning and finishing ability. Yeah, and it's it's good to see Villa being able to play that against, um, I guess Blackpool you could call a lesser side, but even against teams like Palace, Sunderland, having more possession, even Swansea to some extent, having more possession against teams that you'd expect to be about even with you or maybe a little worse in, in the league. So Because, I don't know, Realistically, if you're if you're having more of the possession, you probably should be controlling more of the game. And I mean, obviously, it's hard to concede if you have the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there's one thing to talk about from over the holidays, it's the fact that Villa have really gotten into the groove of this possession-based game, which is so wildly different from what they've had under Paul Lambert for the whole time. Uh, it's not working yet. Do you think it can start working? Uh, I th I think it can. I think they have to. I think still we need a, a good creative influence in the middle. I don't know. It can't be Joe Cole, be, frankly, because he can't play every game. But someone who is going to play those incisive passes and really um, do something in the attacking third more than, I don't know, because while it's nice to have possession, if you're just playing with it in your own half, it's really not doing a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard for them to score if they don't have the ball, but it's also hard for you to score if you never venture past the halfway mark. Or when teams like Palace are just sitting so deep and really, honestly, not caring and just, I mean, they had the most dangerous chance that game, and luckily Balassi hit the post or hit the crossbar. 
Yeah, it was, I mean, there were moments where Villa would string together 20 passes in a row, and it ended up coming to nothing and being sort of boring, and yet at the same time, really exciting, because I'm not sure in my, what now, five years of watching, six years of watching, something like that, I'm not sure I've ever seen Villa string together that many passes. Yeah, and at a lot of a lot of times, really, it was good ball movement and getting through the side, but just hitting, kind of hitting the wall, I guess, when they got to that final third and... Maybe it's just that only Benteke's in the middle to cross to. I know when they went when they went down to ten against Sunderland, there were a couple moments. I think one Grealish cross when no one was there, and that was just really a product of having ten men on the field. Yeah, um, I think it was the Crystal Palace match. I, I'm pretty sure the New Year's Day match. Um, well, no, that wasn't Crystal Palace. Yeah, that was Palace. Yeah, that was Palace. Uh, that I think it was that match that within the first minute, out of the box, Villa put together something like. 18 passes and made great movement into the box. Um, and, and just off the initial kickoff, it looked brilliant. It looked really good, and they stopped doing that for the rest of the day. But you see moments of that, and it's been really encouraging in some ways. Yeah, yeah and, th- and things like that definitely have to build confidence for the team, just really knowing that you can at least kind of ass- assert yourself really over the other team, even if even if you're not creating great chances, but... I don't yeah. know. It's it's still it's still I guess nicer to watch than sitting back and trying to counter and having that end nil nil. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of the thing. What we've seen this season has been the ball in Villa's half for most of the match. I'd rather see it in Villa's half with Villa controlling. So it's a step forward. Yeah. If if, you, if it's gonna be like that, at least be in possession. And it I mean, it just scares you sometimes when the the center back will make a kind of try to dribble out at midfield, and you think, oh, God, don't lose the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and luckily for us, uh, the defense has, you know, the mistakes tend to stick out because they're horrifying at the time, but really the defense hasn't made that many egregious errors this year, especially no, in the last couple of months. I mean, they've conceded just 22 goals on the season, fifth best in the league, so it's pretty easy to see that they haven't they haven't made too many just horrible mistakes. I mean... Kieran Clark has been really good. He made one error early in the season, just not marking tightly enough, led to a goal. But other than that, I think he's been he's been pretty good. Yeah, I think he's been excellent as well. Um, I don't know. I think we could use this as a natural seg into our little uh, Twitter question here, since we're starting. Yeah, 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 we, um, we got a question from Leo Bryan today uh, at L O B A V F C, asking best and worst player of the season so far and why. And and the reason I thought this was sort of a natural seg is because I'm not sure if he would be my first choice, but I really am heavily leaning towards maybe saying Kieran Clark is the best player of the season thus far. Um, he's come in and absolutely demolished our expectations for him. Yeah, and I was going to say a lot. A lot of that comes down to what expectations you have for players. So I think I think it's fair to say that I mean he's had a great season so far. Really, after what being fifth choice, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, as much as I get irritated at the fact that you know Akora is such a revelation because Lambert never played him, I don't blame Lambert for not playing Clark. Everyone thought he was miserable, and then he comes on and he looked fantastic. And quite frankly, um, you know, as much as I've enjoyed Akora, I thought of the two of them, just in terms of performance, I've thought Clark has been better this season. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so too. Akora Akora had a couple matches where. Uh, he was he was doing really well, but he was partnered with Clark, and when they were conceding zero goals, it's hard to say one was doing 
so much better than the other, but... And Clark yeah, even it, chipped in with a goal. Yeah, and it's... I mean, it's... I'm not saying that Clark is better than Akora, because Akora has way more potential. Akora has the chance to be a world-class defender, but just in terms of the performances we've seen, I think Clark has been more steady than has Akora thus far. Yeah, and I don't know. I think Clark can be pretty reliable for his, his whole career. A couple of years ago, we saw Clark playing both at center back and at left back, and uh, a lot of people saying, oh, future Villa captain Karen Clark maybe, and I mean, f- fell off the table really last year, maybe even the year before, but I don't know. It's good to, it's good to see him rediscover some form and uh, look like someone who can be a reliable option for that defense, which is what's important right now, really, since the yeah, goals have come again. I've I've really been enjoying what I've seen out of him, and and so he might be my choice for best player of the year. But my real choice for best player of the year is Alan Hutton. Um, again, because he's demolished our expectations for him, but I think he's been a key piece in that Villa defense. You can no longer attack up your left side and just demolish, you know, the Villa right back. He's been really solid. He's got a surprising amount of pace. Every once in a while, he flashes it, um, and he's been. Not great, but at least quietly useful in the attack. Yeah, he scored a goal. Yeah, he scored a goal. He almost scored one against Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, and I don't know. Sometimes on those counters, you see him drift forward into like a, just a central attacking midfielder's position almost, really. Exactly. The, he's it, not great at crossing, which is what you'd like to see from the right back. You want someone who can put it in. But he's got a much better sense of positioning than he did when we first saw him with Villa. He knows where to be, and he knows where to be to be useful, and also where to be so that he doesn't get caught out and made to be embarrassed on, you know, a counter or anything. Yeah, more important. More importantly, I think, is that. And, I mean, we've seen with Sissoko, he can't cross either, but you still need him to get down and uh, get into those overlapping positions, create uh, just really a numbers overload, and, I don't know, He's, he's bound to complete a cross every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like a few people have said, I think including us, I honestly don't remember, um, given how bad the wingbacks have been for Villa in the past few years, I'm willing to take poor attacking for really solid defense because we haven't had that. And oh, as, nice as, it, yeah. as nice as it is to have a wingback that can you know put in a cross, their primary job is defending. And exactly. I, I, if I can only have one or the other, I want good defenders, and that's what we've got this year. Um, you know, Hutton and Zizogo have been really strong on the defense, and their attack could use a little help, but I'm not too worried about that. So Hutton is my best player of the year. Who do you have? Uh, I have Carlos Sanchez. Uh, he came in, everyone kind of really ex- expected him to be a world beater, I think, just because he had started um, every game except one at the World Cup for Colombia. So everyone expected great player, great defensive mid, really going to change Villa. Uh, he he wasn't that player when he came in, but I think every match he's improved, and it really just shows you that uh, some of some of it comes down to comfortability in the team, adjusting to the new league. Maybe I don't know, maybe working on language skills, but you're gonna have that in any league, and even just getting to know the manager, know the system, just knowing what you're expected to do. And uh, he had some really sloppy turnovers at times, but right now I think man of the match at least the last two matches really. Yeah, for the past month, he's been Villa's best player, I think, no questions asked. Yeah, and and I think that's that's kind of the player that fans really expected. Maybe expectations got lowered at first, but he's he's been really living up to his nickname, La Roca, The Rock. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think this is the place, well, we don't do this very often, but I think it's a place where Lambert deserves some credit. 
I get mad at him for sticking with Gabby. I get mad at him for sticking with Andy. But, you know, he stuck with Carlos when Carlos was looking dreadful. And it ended up working out. He he saw something that I guess I didn't. I thought Carlos looked like crap and needed to be sat for a while. And he kept running him out there. And now all of a sudden he looks... It's transformative in almost the same way that Fabian Delph last year was a revelation, but it's happened in a much shorter time span. Yeah, and um, I mean, look, like Gabby, Andy, sometimes sometimes he doesn't really have any options. Like, what are you going to do, play in Zogbia? <laughs> um, I don't know. But I don't know. It's It's been really, honestly, really great to see Sanchez make this turnaround and kind of gives you some faith in Lambert and his purchases because although although some of them have turned out poorly and all those players really are out on loan right now, his players from, what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. Tonev, Silla, Hellenius, Luna, Joe Bennett. Yeah. I mean, guys that you'd, you're not really concerned about even losing for free when their contracts expire in a year, but it's, it's really- good to see... Good to see um, Sanchez doing well because he actually did cost some money to bring in. Yeah, the really nice thing about Lambert is that he rarely spends that much money. And when he has spent a lot of money, he's hit. And he's got a pretty low success rate on a lot of his other players, but they're one or two million pound players. They're players that you can sort of afford to buy ten of them and hope that two work out. Yeah, sure, but on, on the other hand, I think you'd honestly... Uh, rather kind of pool that cash and spend it on one player because, like, Benteke was seven, what, Sanchez was, like, four. If, I don't know, it, it, it is a risk, but like you're saying, when someone costs that low, that low of an amount, it's not that much of a risk, but... Yeah, it's it's an interesting strategy. I think, given the financial constraints under which he's had to work, uh, I think the sort of buy a bunch of cheap people and hope that 30% of them work out is a good strategy. I think if he had more money at it on his hands, I would want him to stop that and actually just buy good players. I think it's a fine strategy if these players could uh, maybe play and do a decent enough job and then get sold to, I don't know, either a, another European league or to the championship for a million more than you bought them for. If you're flipping players and they're not hurting your team, that's fine. Yeah. That's a fair point, too. But, I mean, if you just end up like Luna and if you're going to end up losing these players for free, then it, it's it's just unfortunate, I guess. But, like you're saying, not too much cash invested up front. And if if 30% of them hit, like, like Benteke, I mean, he cost considerably more than some of the other players, but if we sell him, he's going to make three times as much as we bought him for. Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't, I mean, even if we lost him on free right now, we would Oh, we've gotten our worth. Free. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's, you know, at this point, anything else we get from him is, is just icing on the cake. Yeah, for yeah, for all the the El Achmedes, the Joe Bennetts, the Bentekes, easily made up for it. And then yeah. when you when you look at what he's done last summer too, I guess with the free transfers, Sendros has done decently well. Mm-hmm. He got hurt, but he was him and Vlar first choice for a while. They were doing quite well, and Kieran Richardson. I don't know. I I can't really form too much of an opinion. He had a really stupid red, but he didn't look too horrible when he was playing attacking mid at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he he was. He was boring. He was sort of just a neutral, solid guy, and then he started making stupid decisions. 
Yeah. Which he's prone to do. I mean, historically, he has a ton of cards. We know he's sort of an idiot when it comes to stuff like that. So that's sort of a known risk you have with a Richardson. Yeah, exactly. And, and Joe Cole, I mean, nothing really needs to be said about him. We, we knew what we were going to get, and that's what we got. And it, but it was free, so whatever. The funny thing to me about Joe Cole is if you could have exactly the same player, but he could play once every three matches, that would have been a phenomenal buy. Yeah, if, if, he if we used him. Hey, yeah, he definitely brings a lot. I'd like to see him... If we're going to bring on a sub for 30 minutes at the end of the game needing to create something, I'd like to be able to bring him on. Yeah, I've from the extremely little I've seen of him, I've really enjoyed watching Joe Cole this season. And it makes me desperate to have someone who is him with, you know, stamina. Or, yeah, or if he's playing those killer passes, if you can get a half out of him, say he sets up a goal, then you, you play it cleverly for the second half. You have more structure, and hopefully you can defend that goal with the way Villa have been playing this year. Yeah, the way this defense has been going, you know, if Villa get one goal a match, we're going to have a lot of wins. Exactly, yeah, just 11 goals through 20 matches so far. You think if, if they would have even scored 20 goals, Villa would probably be top seven? You think they'd be above West Ham? Ten more points? Uh, Alex, crunch the numbers on this. I, I need to look at the table, and I can tell you exactly where they would be. Um, he, he figured it out. Had Villa scored exactly one goal in every match... Um, and, and so that's well, no last, time... The last two matches would have been wins, and the one before that would have been a draw. They would be sitting 10th right now, because if they had scored one goal in every match, they would have 28 points. So six more points than they have now. Okay, so, yeah, 10th just, just between Swansea and Newcastle. That Yeah, that would really be pretty good, I think, yeah. and a lot better than what a lot of people's expectations were for the club this season. And that goal differential would have been down to a negative 2 instead of a negative 11. Yeah, so, I mean, there you go. Just, I think Villa really need... And it's not even a striker problem, really, because Benteke's had a lot of shots go within a foot, just wide, just barely wide. You can tell he's not on the in the best form of his career, but, I mean, there, there have been a couple games where, really, the goalie's made the save of his life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that, uh, in that Palace game, too, there was a couple of great saves um, You know that prevented Villa just in, in really great reaction saves. Not not just like run-of-the-mill decent saves, really good saves that kept Villa out of the goal. Definitely. So, I mean... You have to start thinking the luck is going to turn at some point. Yeah, who was it? Michael Cayley did the, the expected goals for shots and just for every team and what Villa have have had about half the goals that they should have. Yeah, and as Alex pointed out, the next yeah. worst team had seventy five percent. Yeah, and that's that's brutally unlucky, but you have to give the defense credit for getting Villa to twenty two points so far this season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're they're above a point a match. Uh, they're they're doing decently well. They're dreadfully boring. That doesn't, I'm not trying to say that this is a great and fun-to-watch Villa team. They're dreadfully boring, but they're holding their own. I really don't have relegation fears this year like I have in past seasons. No, and part of that is just because so many teams are just flat-out worse than Villa. And even even a team that's below us right now, Everton, uh, they've conceded 37 goals, I think, this season already. Mm-hmm. And... They've scored 33, I guess. Their, their goal difference is minus four, but 
Um, last season, I think they conceded 38 the whole year. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can trade, you can trade playing better football, but I don't know. Everton obviously have a lot better players in Villa and still and are one, one point worse on the table. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's, it's been a bad year for the Premier League in general. You know, aside from the top five or six teams, everyone looks like junk at various times. I think really aside... Aside from Chelsea, Manchester City have looked like junk at times. Yeah, but it's hard to say that, you know, you could even group them with everyone else given the fact that they're tied for first. No, no, and Spurs, they had a great result against Chelsea. They played really well. I think they're really turning the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, Manchester United, they've they've definitely turned the corner from early on in the year, which when they lost 5-3 to Leicester City, I mean, we'll get, get to that a little bit when we get to the next match preview, but... Um, Let's go to our worst players of the year. Yeah, uh, who you got? You can start this time. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm tempted to say Ron Vlar just because he's just been injured the whole season. Yeah, but I don't think you could ever make a case for him being the worst based on performance, though. No, no. Because his performances have been solid. when he's yeah, been, and, and against Crystal Palace, he was... Uh, no, not Crystal Palace. The match before. Sunderland. Uh, yeah, Sunderland. He was fantastic. Uh, yeah. Crystal Palace, he injured himself. Yeah, but that's the thing. If he's going to injure himself and not let us sell him... Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, from, from a value or a... You know, given the fact that we rated Clark and Hutton so highly based on our expectations, uh, I think if you use that same criterion, I can see your argument for Vlar there. There, I mean, it's it's not that good of an argument because there are obviously worse players like Darren Bent who just did nothing... I I think you could make the argument that Bent was the worst player of the year, but mine goes to Gabby. Oh, Gabby! I was gonna I was gonna say Inzagbia would be the other one, but I thought you were gonna say that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's 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 to me it was a choice between Gabby and Inzagbia. The thing is, Inzagbia hasn't been played quite as much. You know, despite the no, fact. No, but that his he... his favorite move is just to like walk at the defender with the ball between his legs at like one mile an hour. But my problem is, Gabby gets almost every match, and. We've seen numerous times where he, he honest to God, and I, I get tired of these references, but it's so true in his case, it's like someone holding down the sprint button on FIFA. Oh, and he can't hit the broadside of a barn. No, and his first touch launches the ball 15 yards forward. And it's like, yes, you've got pace, but not that much pace. I think there's been two occasions when he's had just a great sprint this season. Mm-hmm. And, and given the fact that his primary value, like 80% of his value comes from his pace and his ability to, you know, do a one-man counter or do a counter and let someone else catch up to him, he hasn't done that this year, which means he's pretty worthless. Mm-hmm. And I think, more importantly, anyone who's in, in the pecking order ahead of Grealish, who's actually getting games, is actively hurting our team. I, I would agree as well. It, uh... You know, he needs to be playing more, and he's not because of the fact that Gabby keeps getting every stinking match. And I Yeah, frankly, frankly, if we had an injury crisis where Grealish was forced to play, it would, it would be good. Yeah, absolutely. It's the kind of injury crisis we would look for this year. But, yeah, you're right. I seriously considered Inzogbia because in terms of actual performance, I think Inzogbia might be worse. Um, yeah, and, and Vyman's been poor as well, but... I don't know. But he works his ass off. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting yeah, so tired of everyone saying that because, yes, he runs around like a chicken with his head cut off and works his ass off, but so did Brett Holman. 
Yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of people who aren't footballers who are just athletes could do that, you know? Yeah, exactly. He runs around, he's everywhere, and yet he's doing nothing everywhere. He's The, the weird thing is Andy's biggest asset this year has been the fact that he'll go back and act defensively a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, that's I think that's a lot of Lambert. I think Lambert's really instilled a, a good team defensive mentality. Mm-hmm. Over, and it can't have been just this season. It's obviously a work in progress. Yeah, and but I think that's, again, more of the argument against both Gabby and Inzogbia because those are two oh, players definitely. who have shown as not buying into this defensive mentality. And Gabby not tracking back and defending costs us the Southampton match. Yeah, absolutely. Costs us the points, I guess. Although I think you could argue that Inzogbia has bought into the team defensive mentality because he always wants the team playing defense, and so he just gives it away. Oh, maybe. I mean, frankly, I don't know how much defense he can play. It's like, like, um, but I guess back when we had Young and Downing, and it's funny now because Young's playing left back for Man United, but um, I don't know. Young would, Young at least would attempt tackles and pick up cards for doing just forwards tackles. I think Downing attempted like five tackles that season. Yeah, it was. He just direct. frankly wouldn't even go for them, like, and. Yeah, when when you're an attacking side, you can afford luxury players like Durnbent who aren't going to be defenders, but really where Villa are right now, everyone has a job to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and so my pick is Gabby Agbon Lahore, but if you tried to convince me of Inzaghi, I'd probably agree with you almost instantly. Yeah, I think I think there've been maybe about 5 players or so who haven't who've had bad seasons, but So Gabby, Charles, Bent, who else? I don't know, Vyman hasn't had a great year. Um, yeah, duh. Um, uh, Kieran Richardson, to a lesser extent, I think. Yeah, if, if he would have played more, then he probably would have ended up doing more bad things, I guess. Yeah, he's he's made some stupid decisions. Um, I, To be fair, I, to your idea of maybe Inzogbia, no one gets me angrier when I see their name in the lineup than Inzogbia. Yeah, and I think that's because no one's no one would make us happier than seeing Grealish in the lineup. That could be. I mean, yeah. although really, and this sounds like an exaggeration. I honestly think Villa might be better off sending out ten men than sending out eleven and having Inzogbia be one of them. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you have that more that much more space, maybe it allows. Uh, I don't know, Gabby to get it, uh, but then Gabby gets a ball. Like, uh. Well, I mean, just simply from <laughs> a the possession standpoint, when Inzogbia gets the ball, you can almost guarantee it's going to the other team. I would like and to... If you don't have Inzogbia getting the ball, that's one less chance for the other team to get it. That's a good point. I, I legitimately think Villa would be better with 10 men than they would be with 11, and Inzogbia is one of them. And it's been shown they haven't even been that poor with ten men. So <laughs> They've had plenty of opportunities for really stupid red cards, too. The only one that I thought was justified was Kieran Richardson's. Oh, Richardson's, that was, that was one of the worst tackles ever. I mean, Benteke, you just don't touch people in the face. Yeah, but that was also, stupid. you know, Ryan Mason should have been getting a red there, too. Yeah, sure, but, I mean, yeah, but uh, Villa probably see it out there, but look at... Villa lose their best player, Spurs lose, what, their eighth best player maybe on the pitch? Yeah, that's true. And Delph, that was that was one that probably should have been a yellow, but you can you can see that it definitely wasn't getting rescinded for a red and, I don't know, stepping on anyone's foot these days. You just can't put it in the hands of the ref. Yeah, that's true. So stupid, for, stupid for that extent, but... 
What was the other one we got? Gabby? Yeah, Gabby's read that Young admitted after the match he thought he had fouled Gabby. Yeah, exactly. And 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 good on the FA or, or the Premier League for rescinding that red card, but it still screwed us over for a match. Exactly, <laughs> because you probably pull off Gabby for a defender there and hold out against United. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of times, even if you had 20 defenders, Falcao could score, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Tough, tough situation. Still great to get a point against United, but um, weird to say. I don't think enough people are talking about United this year. The turnaround that they've had, going from the utter crap they were for the first month and a half to now suddenly looking like a fantastic team, is pretty incredible. I've, it's incredible, but it's also not because, like, look at the the Premier League has been crap. Sure, mm. but. Look at you bringing a new manager. They brought in a lot of players, a lot of new players. And look at they thought they were going to have Luke Shaw left back. And what happened there? Like, I mean, they, sh- they really sh- should have, I mean, maybe groomed Shaw, I guess, and kept Evra. Yeah. Instead of having to stick Young at left back, which is just hilarious because he hasn't even done that poorly. But yeah. Yeah. Van Gaal comes in, I don't know, new system. They've. They've played really... They've had a lot of injuries, really. And they've weathered them really well. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Tyler Blackett playing at center back. I think the biggest surprise maybe for them has been that uh, Yanezai hasn't been playing at all. Yeah. He was great under Moyes. (laughs) Moyes actually beat Barcelona last week. That's hilarious, but... Yeah, it's just surprising to me that they've managed to turn it around so quickly. From the point where it was like, okay, anybody could beat United to, okay, Chelsea and City can beat United. Yeah, maybe. And if, if United <laughs> have a good day, they could beat them. You oh, know? yeah. You saw, you saw Brennan Rodgers said he thought his side played better this year against United than last year. Obviously, that was a lie because they lost 0-3 to United, but that game was really a lot closer than, than the scoreline would suggest. Yeah, and, and I feel like United's third place position right now is 100% deserved. Exactly. I thought I thought they would finish top four just because without um, without the Champions League, as long as as long as they can pull some results in the league, they they should make the Champions League next year. Because if not, they're going to lose a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. maybe not. They they do have infinite money, which which is annoying because they're only trying to offer one and a half million for Ron Vlar. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we, we got that news today that they have potentially or they're planning on making a £1.5 million pound offer. Um, and like I wrote on the website, I think that's about right. I think that's what Vlar is valued at. But it's January, United have all the money in the world, and Villa have no compelling reason to sell Vlar for that amount of money. Because £1.5 million is, eh, like we've said, pretty much nothing. Yeah, on, on transfermark.com, Vlar's value is listed at 6.5 million euros, so maybe, what, 5, five million pound? Yeah, and you've got to consider the fact that they... Contract. Yeah, they're getting him for five months, or four and a half months. No, they, I mean, he'd sign a new contract when he moves, so... Unless he has that pre-contract with Napoli, which is muddying the waters. I'm not sure if I if, believe if that. He's, if he's going to sign that pre-contract with Napoli, then he wouldn't... I don't think he'd be able to move in this window... Yeah, um, but it's not that 1.5 million is a bad valuation. I think for four and a half months of Ron Vlar, uh, who's currently injured right now, I think that's fair. But it's Manchester United, and we've got no reason to sell. Hold out until you get three or four. It's it's United. They have a billion-dollar kit sponsorship deal with Chevy. Hold them out for ten. 
Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather let VAR walk to literally anyone in the summer than to sell him to United for less than for less than five, really. Really, I would take because, three happily. I don't know because you you look at who we have at center back, and while Akora and Clark have been great, Baker is just as likely to pick up a concussion at any, at any time, and Senderos you don't, you don't really know, and then if if you don't have VAR, then you're I don't know. You're never going to be able to play a three at the back. What you have, Chris Hurd. Yeah. Remember when Chris Hurd had a Mark Peter Crouch? No offense to Chris Hurd, but compared to Peter Crouch, he's a midget. Like. Yeah. Compared to Peter Crouch, everyone's a midget. But I mean. I the the thing that really is hampering this are those injuries, um, because you know if Rose and Baker were healthy, that's four first choice center backs that we've got. Any of them you would be comfortable with and sell Vlar in a heartbeat. But just because we've got the two of them out on long-term injuries and you don't know when they'll be back and you don't know how ready they'll be, that's really muddying the waters on selling Vlar. Yeah, I, th- I think you can't sell Vlar unless you're planning on bringing in another center back. Yeah. And I think well, I think maybe looking a, a little bit ahead to next summer, bringing in another center back on a free transfer would be good, especially at the Senderos caliber. Maybe you pick up some somebody from a team that ends up getting relegated this year. Or, or maybe you can afford to spend three million or something on a center back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think that's an area where we could use the help, especially given how injury prone our center backs are. Yeah, um, you. Ju- I don't know. You just need to have the flexibility to play three at the back, and when you get the fixture build up around Christmas, it's you just need you need five really. Yeah, nice to have a little rotation. I mean, the crappy thing is those injuries because we really do have right now five players who could start at most Premier League teams at center back. Yeah, I, I think so. A lot of a, like when, especially when they're in form, really. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talent in that defensive core right now, and if they weren't injured, I think we could have seen some really great rotation around Christmas. Uh, you oh, know, not I that it ended up sorry. hurting us that much, because we still did well. I just worry about players being tired down the road. Yeah, and I also kind of forgot that uh, Lowton can really fill in at at center back, at least at right center back. So. That would be. I, he can fill in, but, I mean, do you want him to? Uh, I mean, with at a three-at-the-back system, it's not bad. Yeah, if, if it were three-at-the-back, sure. But as much as we keep talking about that three-at-the-back, because I think it could be useful, and I think we do have the personnel when we're healthy, Lambert hasn't even tried it this year. I would like to see it with Benteke and Kozak up top. <laughs> I'd like Just to run, see Kozak. run the double battering ram. I'd like because... to see Kozak, you know, playing. Yeah, um, yeah, I, d- I did want to mention that because, but we'll get, we'll get to it in a minute. I want to talk still transfers about uh, Fabian Delph and Spurs. Uh, it was a classic Daniel Levy bid. Three million for Fabian Delph. Again, I'd, I'd rather let him walk to Spurs in the summer than just because, I don't know, Delph really, Delph really looks disinterested this season. That's a big problem. He does, Um um, and so that, that's changing my idea of this. He looks disinterested, so why not get $3 million for him rather than having a disinterested player? Westwood is back. Um, Sell him to some French club for $3 million. If If PSG are going to buy uh, Musa Sissoko, I think Delph is just as good as Sissoko of Newcastle. Some to PSG. You're not you're not going to get the same valuation, though, because one of Delph's big things in the Premier League is he's English-born. He's an English national, and we know those go for more money. Yeah, but sell him to someone in the championship for $3 million. 
I don't think you're going to get anyone to buy, and I don't think you're going to get Delph to agree to go to the championship. Just don't let him go to Spurs, unless unless they're going to swap for Dembele. I mean, you. This is clearly you just hate Spurs, which I totally, excuse me, totally understand. But I think three million for Delph is not crazy. I just think you you just you have to get fair value from teams who actually have money. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, and I. I like the idea that Villa rejected three million, or or would probably reject three million, and I think you could get five million for Delph. But at this point, I he's not the same Delph he was last year. He's still a solid player. He's not making the same runs he did. He's not, you know, doing a lot of the same things he did. I'm okay, and he's clearly not wanting to come back next year, not wanting to re-sign a contract. I'm okay getting three million or above for him. Yeah, I I really would. I guess I really would be too. But I'd rather it not be dispersed. I'd rather do a player swap because I'm just thinking, what's three million gonna buy us? Yeah, that's fair. Um, even well, even Delph, I think, was like five or six million to bring in from Leeds when Randy Lerner had money. Yeah. And now his cards getting declined. If you've been <laughs> reading reading James's Football Manager series, which we really enjoy. Yeah, you really should be reading that series if you haven't been. It's uh, five point five to Holt. Uh, and it has been absolutely fantastic. Some great work from James on that one. Mostly, mostly when uh, he was in a feud with Redknapp in the press and had really the most epic comeback after getting a man sent off. <laughs> it was Just trolling yeah. Redknapp. Absolutely perfect. He's he's been crushing it on that series. So make sure you go read that. Um, but yeah, for Delph, I think three million. Although I kind of like your idea, three million to most people, five million to Spurs. Or Dembele. Yeah, and I'd take Dembele. Dembele has been out of favor at Spurs, but I don't know. He's a, he's a powerful midfielder. Decent decent defensive defensive wise would help out um, and set pieces in the box, which actually Villa have been better this season, really, in not conceding set pieces. Mhm. Yeah, there's there's been market improvement there too. Um, what about Scott Sinclair? Going yeah, Scott, the other way. Scott Sinclair valued at four million. What was it? It's looking like it's going to be something around there. Yeah, somewhere around there. What do you think? Does he add a lot to the side? I think a permanent deal would be great. I think he does add a lot to the side because if you're looking at those outside forward positions, he definitely starts over anyone that we have. It, yeah, um, I think he takes the slot that Richardson has been playing in when Richardson plays, um, or. Or rather, someone Grealish maybe moves over to Richardson's spot, and Sinclair takes you know that right side. Yeah, I'm just thinking if you if you go four three three, you either have him on on the left instead of Gabby, or on the right instead of Andy, either yeah. as well, um, or like or in that four five one like you're talking about. But for sure, yeah, and so. I mean he was he was doing really well for Swansea, played for them for a couple years. He was sold to Man City on on deadline day on August thirty first, twenty twelve, for seven point eight million. Um, I mean, yeah, he's he's English, and he played for England youth levels, U17, all the way up through 21, but now he's 25 and, I don't know, kind of really needs to reignite his career. So even if he's taking a little bit of a wage cut, I don't think, really, I don't think money's too much of an issue for him. And, I don't know, maybe two good years at Villa, and then he could get sold on to someone else again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so it would be or, nice or he could, if Villa really do have aspirations to go to try to make the Europa League, I think he's a perfect player. Yeah. 
Um, if Villa do end up buying Scott Sinclair, does that change your position on Tom Cleverley? And depending on what your position on Cleverley is. About buying Tom Cleverley? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends how much you can get for him. If you, if you, if we could swap Vlar for Cleverley right now, I'd say go for it. Yeah. Just because we're not getting we're not going to end up getting anything for Vlar, I guess. But um, I don't know. I think I think maybe with, maybe Cleverley, someone who you say, okay, thanks. Um. If you go back to United going in the preseason and you're not going to get picked, maybe we'll go in for you for a decent fee. But, I don't know, looking looking at values on Transfermarkt again, Cleverly's valued somehow at 11 million euro and Delft 6. Like, I don't know, I guess playing through United just bumps you to over 10. Is Tom Cleverly's contract up in the summer? Um... I don't. Th- I think he's going to have at least a year because I think it'd be rare to loan someone if their contract was going to expire. I know he's he is. It's it's there until thirtieth uh, of June this year. So. So yeah. Well, I mean, we loaned Darren Bent. Y- yeah, but <laughs> you do, you actively are trying to get rid of Darren Bent. Yeah, well, I think United in some ways were actively trying to get rid of Cleverly. I mean, that's why this was a loan with an option to buy type thing. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. And, and did we ever hear what the buy option was? No. Was the fee? Because usually the, you would think the fee would be set, or maybe based on appearances. Maybe he play if he plays thirty games for you, you're like, oh well, he's obviously quite valuable to you. Yeah. It. Um. Yeah. I think it was Alex. I don't know if he. I haven't had a chance to read his Cleverly article yet this morning, but at least in our internal chats was saying. You know, the case against buying Cleverly right now is no one else seems to be interested in him. He's out of contract this summer. Um, just go ahead and let him go out of contract and pick him up on a free this summer. Exactly, and picking up Cleverly on a free would probably be the best business we could do this summer. Yeah, and you you can make the case and there's the worry that someone else swoops in for him, but there really doesn't seem to be much interest in Tom Cleverly. Yeah, or you, or you tell United, we'll give you a million for him and let him come to us guaranteed, or... You let him walk, and he probably comes to us anyways. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is maybe what they're doing for Flar, but rather, rather in the summer, and then you know. Yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know. I I don't think adding Sinclair would change my position. I still think I'm okay with buying Cleverly right now, just outright getting him. Uh, it just depends. But, it depends on the funds. I think you could. I think you could spend the money better somewhere else, possibly. Yeah, and I wouldn't be heartbroken if if Villa didn't buy cleverly right now. Exactly, it's it's kind of like what the Ryan Bertrand situation evolved to. Mm-hmm. We thought, oh great, spend six million on him. Well, look, we've got Ellie Sissoko for about half the price, and he's done a pretty good job. I think Bertrand is definitely better than Sissoko, but Sissoko's done an adequate job. Yeah, absolutely. And he's but, been he's exceeded expectations again, so. I really like that Bertrand comparison because I think the the arc of Cleverly and Bertrand is really similar. Started off really brightly, uh, impressing a lot of people, and lately Cleverly has continued his sort of be adequate but not really great thing. Um, and it's kind of more what we expected from Cleverly, I think. I guess. Yeah, exactly. And so it's you know he's gotten to the point where he's a valuable player. I don't know if he's a seven million valuable player. Like I think it was about a month ago or something. I said, yeah, spend seven million for him, get him right now. Now I'd be loath to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, if if Randy can open the checkbook. Yeah, yeah. But you know. Uh, you mentioned we want to talk about Labor Kozak, who who may be our best January transfer if he comes back in February. Yeah, yeah, possibly another another striking option, and. 
Yeah, Libor Kozak. So he was injured last year. Kieran Clark broke his leg in training, and apparently his, his recovery was horribly botched. Yeah, uh, he did an interview with the Czech website, um, which luckily, luckily Sam Tai sent our way. Um, but apparently the doctor didn't set the calf bone, right, the fibula, right? Is that right? Fibula is the calf, tibia is the shin? Yeah. I think that the, yeah. Uh, apparently the tibia, the, ca- or the shin bone set perfectly, um, and they didn't do it right with the calf bone. And, and the quote that came from that, at least in translation, was, you don't need a calf bone to play, which I'm sure it wasn't exactly that, but regardless, it was apparently really terribly botched, and he was told he could train on a bone that he wasn't comfortable training on, and it set him back about six months. Yeah, understandably so. You don't want to ruin your career, you know? Exactly, and so he had to have a second surgery. He traveled to Italy uh, with a doctor that he had met in his time uh, in Syria. Uh, at Lazio, yeah, and he has had it reset. It now looks like he will face a fitness test later in the month uh, and could be back to full training by late January, early February. Yeah, and that's that's fine. With injuries, it's always better to just, just wait, make sure it's make sure it's healed. Usually, I mean, really kind of scary situation that, that that's what it evolved to, but it's, I don't know, it's going to be good if he, if he comes back for Villa. If... if even half of that story is true, because that's the thing. We got a translation of a player's opinion. You know, there's there's some wiggle room here. If even half of that story is true, though, there need to be some serious questions being asked at Aston Villa about how this whole thing was handled. Because yeah, about it, how they handle the injuries in, in general. Yeah, because according to that article, this was just ludicrously botched, and, and we should be angry. And there's a little bit of, it of a doubt here, because I don't know exactly how much is true. But still, there need to be some questions asked. Why was Kozak's uh, recovery so botched? Exactly. Yeah, that's... I mean, it just makes you think... Yeah, really, it's... Like, what, what happened? Yeah, it's, it was, you know, not a good... I don't know. It, it, and it would have been really helpful to have him instead of Gabby or Andy every single time this year. Or, or to be able to bench Benteke because he's just out of it in sorts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Running around aimlessly, not not doing much. Yeah, because because with Benteke, Gabby, and Andy, they just seem like they're cemented into the starting eleven, no matter what they do. And you need squad competition to make people go out and earn their place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, maybe that's what's happening with the defense this year. The fact that there are five legitimate candidates to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they everyone know. Everyone has they... to. Everyone has to play out of their minds. Yeah, because if, if not, you'll go to the bench. But, um, yeah, I guess um, let's, anything else with that? I think we can move on to Leicester City, which actually is going to be, I think, a pretty important match. Good chance for Villa to get three points, the three points that they're really going to need, and the three points that Leicester really need as well. They're sitting in last with 14 points. Uh, Burnley and Palace just ahead of them, both on 17. And then West Brom, fourth bottom with 18. Yeah, they've they've had a rough go of things this year. Um, you know, I sort of expected them to to have a better go of it. They started off so brightly. They began with that draw at Everton, uh, two nothing loss at Chelsea is you know nothing terrible. They ended up a draw with Arsenal. They beat Stoke. They beat Manchester United. Things started really brightly. They got eight points out of five matches. 
Yeah, and you sometimes you see promoted teams at the beginning kind of make that surge, and uh, since that win over Man United, that was five to three on September twenty first. They've won just once since then, and yeah. that was against Hull on December twenty eighth. God, I mean, they've turned into a junk team. For God's sakes, they allowed Aston Villa to score two goals. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's, bad. Like that's the single biggest indictment of a team that you can give. Embarrassing, but yeah, since since the Man United win and they've had three draws: Burnley, Sunderland, and Liverpool. Actually, drew Liverpool in their most recent match, two-two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's been a pretty dreadful stretch since September, I guess, for them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's you know a team that. At the beginning of the season, I thought, well, they could pose some challenge. This is a place where, despite the fact that we're playing away, or maybe because of the fact that we're playing away, um, we absolutely need to get three points from this. I think so. And, I, I mean, I guess I guess uh, Leicester were kind of unlucky last match when someone kicked the ball into one of their players' faces and Liverpool were awarded a penalty, which Jared obviously put away. But uh, And they, they gave up two penalty goals, scored two goals, and, yeah, they ended up with the draw, but... Yeah, I, mean, I think I think at home they're they're obviously going to realize that this is a massive game. Yeah, and hopefully that pressure makes them crumble a little bit. Um, but the problem with Aston Villa is, as much as this should be a sure thing win, nothing is sure with Aston Villa. You've got to score one or two goals to get the win, and God, the way they're playing, I can't see one or two goals. You know, there there have been just twelve goals scored in the last ten Premier League games involving Aston Villa. Good God. So no, really nobody's scoring. Yeah, well, that's good news. So, I mean, score one and we can win that thing. Yeah, and, and we've managed to score more than one goal in just two of the 20 games this year. And like you said, one was the reverse fixture. And the other was Hull, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty terrible. So, as much as I want to say this is, you know, three easy points for Villa, you've got to score a goal, and, and I see another 0-0 coming at us. There, there have only been two teams that have scored fewer goals after 20 games in a Premier League season. That was Manchester City in 95-96 and Derby County in 07-08. Really? We're almost on base. The, the lowest ever in a season was 21, right? Yeah, it was, it was 21 or 20, I think. I think it was 21 because we're on pace for 20. No, I think it was 20. Um, you know, we're getting close to the point where that could be a thing. <laughs> we're we're thinking about. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think that's going to be a thing just because what we were talking about with uh, just being unlucky, I guess, and chances are going to fall and goals are going to go in, but... And we'll have Kozak it, back. And it really it really is worrying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really hope things start turning around. Um, it's not soccer, but I was at a uh, college basketball game last night, and you just sort of got this feeling in this game. It was George Washington, my old alma mater, playing St. Louis... And St. Louis hit 11 three-pointers in the game. And they rushed out to a great lead thanks to shooting 100% from the free-throw line. And you just got a sense that they are not as good of a team, and eventually their luck has to change. And it did. They ended up, despite the fact that they hit 11 threes, they only shot 50% from three, which is pretty good. But they started missing their chances. They started missing a couple of free-throws. And G-Dub, who had been missing all of their free-throws, started hitting them at the rate they normally do. Their averages, their there's these rates for a reason because eventually they will normalize. I can't. Yeah, the longer see, something goes on. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what happened in this basketball game. I just, you know, I was stressful in the first half because you saw Jada pull it, you know, falling behind. But you knew that things had to normalize and that if things, you know, we had another half, things would keep going. The same can be said for Aston Villa. You know, they're making enough chances that they should have more goals than they do. And if things start to normalize a little bit, not totally revert, not make up for everything, just normalize, Aston Villa should be really comfortable mm. for the rest of the season. Yeah, scoring, you know, past couple of years, Villa get maybe about 40 goals a season, so pretty poor return, but not we're at about half that, you know? Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and they'll do better. Um, exactly, it's just the, the law of averages you're going, if you keep creating the chances, you're going to eventually get the goals. Exactly, and, and and this isn't falling prey, I hope, to the gambler's fallacy. You know, oh, well, we've had such bad luck, we're due for good luck. We're not due for good luck, we're due for normal luck, and we haven't had that. Exactly, uh, so so if that if it just goes back to a normal level, Villa really should be fine. Yeah, exactly. We're not looking for, you know, world-beating here. If Villa score one goal per match for the rest of the season, I feel like we could probably end up in 10th or 11th. Probably, yeah, and just because, I mean, it's been a been a decent season, I guess 12th, really. Yeah. Four, four points behind Stoke, but, I mean, you, a couple wins couple wins in a row and you, you really get going, which Villa gonna really going to need a win because they're going to have Liverpool next. And, I mean, Liverpool haven't been great, but you've got to figure that they're, they're due for some wins as well. Yeah, Villa pull one win out of their butts every year at Villa Park. And I'm wondering if it might be the Liverpool match this year. Hopefully. I mean, that, that would be just wonderful to see. Uh, to do the double over Liverpool in a season would be even more fun. Even if it is a down season for Liverpool, because yeah, still just just because we would do the double over those Liverpool fans would make it worthwhile. That's yeah, and that's a huge six points too, really. Yeah, absolutely, and and so yeah, I think they'll have got one stupid win in them this season, and they haven't done it yet. Maybe the Liverpool match was that stupid win, but I think they've got one left, and they've probably got one mind-blowingly stupid loss in them too. Probably, hopefully that was QPR, but. Hopefully, but Gosh, you know the, the way they've been playing. I there's got to be another you know three nothing loss somewhere. For sure. So, I mean, I guess prediction time for Leicester. Zero zero. <laughs> zero yeah. I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna say one one. No, oh, you're an optimist. <laughs> you I think it's gonna be a thrilling match. Just as many points. Maybe not. I don't know. No, Nil's not always. Not always bad, you know. Sometimes you, you can have some really great chances and great saves, but Villa Leicester nil nil. Is there uh, any way Villa... that's an exciting match? No, no, uh, I, d- I didn't say that. <laughs> this, this isn't uh, what was it? Mexico Brazil in the World Cup, the most exciting zero zero match anyone has ever seen. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, you know, like one 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 can be pretty dull too. Is is all I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's true, but. I'm I'm saying it's going to be a dreadfully boring zero zero. All right, well. I'm an optimist. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, I mean, I guess. Pray for a point. Hopefully, yeah, a point. I mean, a point. Uh, it'd, it'd kind of be seen as two points lost, I think, for both teams. Yeah, I think so. Um, but you know, again, if Villa just drew the entire season out, they'd comfortably be safe. There would be no worry whatsoever. Oh, definitely. 
And but so, as much as it would... Except of every Villa fan killing himself, but... Oh, yeah, it would bore us all to death and we would hate it, but in terms of safety, it's there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... I've gotten to the point where I'm coming to terms with just boring draws, sure. Yeah, it's b better than boring losses, though. Exactly. All right, well, remember, we're still an iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, that... That's been all for the Holtcast this week. We'll be back, of course, next week. And remember, yeah, match Leicester City this weekend. I guess uh, 3 o'clock England time, 10 Eastern. So we'll have all the coverage for you at 7500 to hold.com. And for Robert Lintot, I've been Jack Grimsey. We'll see you next week.